श्री गुरु वैष्णव गुरु परंपरा की जाए श्री श्रीराव जी गोपाल की जाए गुरु भक्त बृंद की जाए गुरु प्रेमानंदी इवनिंग एवरीवन वेलकम सो thought it's speak a little bit tonight about the nature of our practice here for your benefit because you're visiting for the first time and um and although you're interested in yoga right are you a yoga teacher and she's here also but anyway you're familiar with yoga um despite that it's a pretty big subject <laughs> and especially in the, with the uh, western entrepreneurial spirit um added to it then there are all kinds of yoga out there today which um isn't entirely um inappropriate as some people might think in as much as yoga traditionally classically speaking was developed as a philosophy under itself but so closely tied to another ancient indian philosophy called sankhya and different from sankhya only for the most part because yoga as a as a philosophy was focused more on being a discipline so practically speaking the yoga philosophy became the discipline by which um it was thought one could achieve the ideal of the sankhya philosophy and sankhya means to count hmm, literally and it in this context it it means to 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 count to differentiate hmm, and in in a broad way between consciousness and matter hmm, the idea being that that um all living beings are consciousness not matter and it could be realized hmm? and the discipline for realizing that was yoga now exactly what the nature of matter is and exactly what the nature of consciousness is there are a lot of different opinions there were in ancient times in india where these ancient uh philosophies yoga and sankhya i'm speaking of come from um and there are of course today that many more many many times more differing opinions about the nature of consciousness and, and and matter but that's really the whole subject i think of human life in other words what's experienced and what's experiencing basically <laughs> kind of sums it up that's what life's about what is out there to be experienced and what's in there that's doing the experiencing having the experience so in this sense then these ancient teachings and and yoga in the broad sense of the term is certainly not something that everybody is interested in knowingly or unknowingly whether they put it in those terms or not um at any rate in india then the nature of the yoga philosophy given in the sutras of patanjali the yoga sutras was such emphasizing as it did a, a discipline 
a discipline for moving the, the, the instruments by which we tend to go out into what's out there and feel and smell and taste and touch and see it. Hmm. See, smell, touch, feel. These are speaking about what the instruments do, the senses, the tactile sense, the sense of uh, s- smell, sense of hearing, seeing, and so forth. These are the instruments by which we tend to go out into and identify with whatever's out there. Hmm? And the basic system, discipline, I should say, in the yoga system was to take those very same senses, those instruments, and turn them within. Hmm? Let them become instruments that don't take us out, but they kind of shut down in one sense from um, an orientation towards the, the outside world, the world of matter, and um, and explore that which lies within, the experiencer within. Hmm? So it's a peculiar uh, discipline. Hmm? And... Um, as such, many schools of yoga uh, were, were uh, spawned, so to speak. Um, so you find a common thread hmm, um, of, of a discipline for controlling the senses and the mind hmm, in such a way as to validate the experience or the sense that we all have that there's somebody in there. It's us. It's, uh, it's, uh, it's, uh, and that us is, um, is, uh, worth, worth knowing, so to speak. Hmm? So, as I say, yoga lends itself, is the point I'm making, to different philosophies, um, in India it did, all for, experiencing the nature of consciousness and moving in the direction of consciousness as opposed to moving in the direction of matter and its acquisition of things and exploitation of the natural world and and so forth for for material purposes, for the purpose of the body, for example. Hmm? Um, The body would be part, really, of the outer world. Hmm? Um, The senses... And then the that it's made up of, and then the sense objects in the world, and different from this, the idea is is the self in Sankhya and in yoga philosophy. And again, there are many different then nuanced ideas of what is matter and what is consciousness, and where they meet and where they part, and and to what extent they're different or the same, and so on and so forth. But in the ancient systems of philosophy in India, that all tended to be. Um, to acknowledge a self, kind of a self with a capital S, that was different than the conventional self, that uh, whereby we think ourselves to be American or British or uh, uh, Italian or German or Polish or Costa Rican or or um, of a particular religion or a particular um, sexual orientation and so forth. That's all kind of a smaller S. 
a self that changes. You could be um, American and you could give up being American. Not a bad idea, I suppose. Uh, from some, <laughs> there are many. Uh, we're not. I'm not one of them. But there are many. What do they call them? Um, expatriates here in Costa Rica from from the United States. So they became Costa Rican. So the idea that I'm an American, well, North American, could change to becoming a Central American. Or you can now um, change your sexual orientation. You could become from a heterosexual, or from a from being a male, you could be changed for all intents and purposes to being female. Hmm? Um, so these identities, male, female, black, white, uh, you can change your religion. You could be a Catholic, you could become a Hindu, you could become a Buddhist, and so on and so forth. These are all identities with a small s, and then there's the larger self. I like to think of it something along the lines of, we think that I am this or I am that, but much bigger than I am this or that, each of which are small things, is the fact that I am. Hmm. It's a little abstract, but I'm in this, I'm that, I'm British, I'm American, I'm um, Indian, I'm black, I'm white. These are the thises and the thats, all that changes. So that, that can't be what I am if I am an enduring entity. Hmm. Um, what am I that doesn't change? Even the body, all the molecules in the body change every so often. Even the molecules that make up the DNA, which is information, change. Something doesn't change. Some sense of identity that witnesses the change, if we pay attention, that's constantly going on around us. And that's the S, the self with a capital S, if you will. So, yoga was traditionally, anyway, for realizing that. There's the theory, and then there's a practice to experience that, to know that. And it was thought in ancient India to be the, the, the ultimate goal of life. There are many different goals of life. There could be a goal of getting married, a goal of having children, a goal of um, um, contributing to the political uh, betterment, uh, welfare of the state, uh, the nation, and so on and so forth. Um, all those goals are admirable. Uh, well, not all of them, but there are admirable goals and are less than admirable goals. But uh, even amongst the admirable goals, what makes them meaningful at all, it was thought, is the extent to which they either foster or don't get in the way of fostering a higher goal, self-enlightenment, hmm? understanding this, the, the self with the capital Yes, if you will. <clears throat> Virtue, for example, um, one of the goals. Goals could be to pleasure oneself, hmm, to acquire pleasures, um, to acquire some power and security, to get a better job, for example, rise up in the, in the corporate ladder. Um, um, or, so, uh, pleasure, power, and virtue, virtue, uh, to pursue the virtuous life for its own sake, hmm? even if it meant I might lose my job to do the virtuous thing, even if it might mean I would, it would, it would be uncomfortable 
from a, a self-pleasing point of view, sensually speaking, to the virtuous. That's noble. But that was thought to be noble ultimately because the virtuous life led to, served as a bridge, sattva, a bridge to transcendence, to the ultimate good, ultimate attainment. Hmm? A kind of attainment of the self that gave rise to the experience that the self, in terms of its basic constitution, is a lover, is, is, has a capacity to love, and it knows no bounds. It exists, it doesn't change, transform, means it doesn't die, that capital S self. It's a knowing self. Matter is kind of unknowing, it's knowing, and it's blissful or has capacity to love, to be, to know, to love. It exists. It's a knowing existence with the capacity to love. So the basic experience of the S, of the capital S self, was one that gave rise to universal uh, compassion, which solves the entire moral dilemma. The moral dilemma is, is, is rages on, and there are different opinions about every subject and so forth. But um, morality is largely how we should behave in relation to others. But the realization through yoga of the self with a capital S is one in which we see others as if they are extensions of our own self. So the moral dilemma is solved how to behave with others. As we say, you know, they say in the Bible that you should love your neighbor like yourself. Or they say there's a golden rule that you should do unto others as yourself. This can be realized when we see another as really not an Indian or American or any of these ways that makes them different from from the way I think of myself, but in terms of what we all have in common, beyond the fact that we're humans, for example, which we have in common, or a species that we breathe, but that we are, that we be, that we exist, as a unit of consciousness. So... This is a high and noble um, ideal. You can imagine if the whole world was in agreement that this is the goal of life, then it would be pretty interesting and probably a pretty nice place to, to, uh, to live. Hmm. And then relative goals, which are important, um, would also um, um, be put in, in, into perspective. Hmm. And uh, so, at any rate... The yoga system is meant, this is just a very general, broad uh, idea, to realize that self. Now, again, there are different descriptions of the nature of consciousness and matter and so forth, and and different types of yoga. So, based on the different ideas of the nature of self, same discipline, basically, with some nuanced differences um, factored in. So you have, for example, the yoga of action, the yoga of knowledge, and you have the yoga of love. Obviously, that one's the best. 
That's the one we do. <laughs> I mean, <laughs> I don't mean to sound sectarian, but the love is a pretty desirable um, idea. And, and of course, action and um, knowledge are both part of loving. If you love, then you, there's, there's, there's movement and there's also a kind of knowing. Hmm? There can be movement and knowing without loving, that's for sure. Hmm? And in this world, movement I want to say knowing, movement tends to um, distance one from knowing. And knowing tends to difference, distance one from moving. What do I mean by that? That when we move in the world, generally speaking, we're moving in pursuit of things, to acquire things. You see the chanting out there. Everybody is moving out there for something, to acquire something. It may sound pretty, and it is, but the frog is croaking for something. <laughs> the bird is chirping for the worm. Hmm? So you look at it a little more closely, and this is the nature of movement in the world. Movement for self-preservation. Hmm? And the sense of self is a body that needs to be preserved. Hmm? It's not that big-ass self hmm? that doesn't transform, so it has no beginning, has no end. It doesn't die, in other words. That die, death being a transformation. Hmm? So, movement generally in this world is in pursuit of things because we think that by acquiring we become more. My belly becomes filled, I can live another day. Hmm? To do the to hunt again, so to speak. Hmm? I can live to hunt again. Not a very good idea. Hmm? So, at the same time, when we move in relation to things hmm, for material acquisition, well, you can see this is, this is, this is a troublesome type of uh, existence. And what are we really pursuing by that? We move to acquire in order to endure and happily, to live in an enduring way and happily. We want to live an enduring and blissful life. But our movements are not um, very fruitful in this regard. The death rate is, is it still 100%? <laughs> it hasn't changed. So, uh, just to give an example. So, therefore, if we factor some knowledge into the picture of our movement, in consideration of the fact that what we're moving for is enduring and a loving life, and that we're pursuing that in relation to things that themselves don't endure. Hmm? They're here today, they're gone tomorrow. I may get a nice meal by the end of the night, and tomorrow it's gone, and I'm hungry again. Hmm? Food will never stop the hunger problem, hmm? except for a few minutes. So. so then the knowledge here that I'm talking about is the fact that, wait a minute, I'm pursuing an enduring and 
loving, blissful life, but I'm pursuing it in relation to things that don't endure and have no capacity under themselves to love. Things don't love. My house doesn't love me. <laughs> Although I may love my house, it's not working. Entirely. It's a one-way relationship. <laughs> it's just, you never say you love me. <laughs> so, uh, so what I'm saying here is that if we factor knowledge into the action of the world and really weigh in on it, so to speak, this is the point of view of yoga, then the impetus to act starts to diminish. Wait a minute, I'm acting, I'm moving in relation to things that don't endure, and I want, in order that they love, and I want enduring love, so why should I do that? So the imp- if we factor knowledge in the impetus to act, starts to diminish. Hmm? And so knowledge hmm, factored into our life diminishes our movement our action. We become thoughtful. Wait a minute. Hmm. Why am I doing that? What am I? I want enduring life, happy life. Hmm. So now you become inquisitive, philosophical, and so forth and so on. And this this kind of introspection then hmm, is, well, introspection. It's going within. We start to go within rather than to go without for acquisition to become to find that enduring and blissful life. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And so we tend to then shut down the senses in terms of their pursuit of things and the energy spent for such and move in a very different way but towards a quietude, mm-hmm. for example, uh, towards the, the, the inner life, the contemplative life, mm-hmm. inner life, um, so knowledge factored in diminishes movement. Hmm? Movement, on the other hand, diminishes knowledge. If I keep moving for acquisition, then I don't have an ear for the fact that there's more to life than this small self that you're trying to maintain that can't be maintained. You don't have an ear for it. A, uh, a, so th- what I'm saying is that these, these are two tracks, knowledge and action, and they kind of push against one another. If you factor in knowledge, the action will start to diminish. You factor in, factor in action, as I'm speaking about it, for acquisition of things, knowledge goes out the, out the door. Mm-hmm. But both things seem desirable, action and knowledge, and in love both things are found. Mm-hmm. This is the beauty mm-hmm. of bhakti, of course, because bhakti is about love, and in love there is a wholesome action and a wholesome knowing. Hmm? Now, what we mean by that, of course, we're talking about love in a yogic context, we're talking about the fact that although we are all units of consciousness, and in that sense we're a capital S rather than a small self, the small s self that we identify with is illusory. We are the big self. Hmm? At the same time, we're big in comparison to that conventional ego, the woman ego, the man ego, the black ego, the white ego, and so forth. All the, I'm speaking about the self being big. I give it a capital S. Still, 
it's only big in relation to the small s. And one might question, if there is a big S, how did it come under the influence of the small self, if it's big? Hmm? You understand? If I say the small self is an illusory self, hmm? how did that illusory self take precedence over the, the real self? Hmm? Because the real self, although it's big, it's not that big. Hmm? And so there is a super self as well. <laughs> so we have three, three levels of self, uh, I- if you will. We have a small self. I'm Indian, I'm American. Hmm? I'm young, I'm old, as may be the case. And then we have the big self, I am. And, 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 and the first self, the small self, is made out of matter. It's a construct of the mind. Hmm? And the big self, the second one, is not a product of matter. It's consciousness, consciousness itself. Hmm? That means, because it's consciousness, and consciousness is not dependent on uh, the body or mind or brain to exist. Hmm? It expresses itself through it. If you you kill the body, obviously, if you turn out the... If you unscrew the light bulb, the light won't flash here anymore, but you didn't do away with electricity. Hmm? So the death of the biological or the psychological self, small self, does not kill the big self, big S. Hmm? But that big S, the second one, hmm? although it's constituted of consciousness, not matter, not mind and matter, hmm? it's still small. And in the face of all of matter, hmm? it can be overwhelmed. But it is like a spark of the fire of consciousness. So that's the super S, super self, the fire. So if you have, for example, if you have a fire and you have sparks, what else will you have? You have smoke. Hmm? So the smoke obscures hmm? and the fire illumines. The spark has a capacity to illumine, but it's very small its capacity to illumine. Smoke can't put it out. Mm, well, it's not supposed to. Wind might, but smoke doesn't put out the, 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 the spark. It's just an analogy. So, uh, But it can obscure its capacity to, to illuminate. So the small self is like the smoke. It's illusory. The big self, the second one, the capitalist, is like a spark. What is the difference between a spark and smoke? Huge difference, right? There's hope with a spark. There's hope that I could connect and make a fire and cook and heat. With the smoke, there's no hope. So, matter unto itself, there's no hope there. We are a spark of light. There's hope, great hope. Although we're in the midst of smoke and identified with the smoke, to the extent we don't even see ourselves, yoga says there's hope for you, for all of us. Hmm? Yes, the world is somewhat Darwinian. One living being is food for another, as we were saying earlier. But that's not the whole picture. Hmm? There's something called consciousness. It doesn't. It's not a. It's not a biological product of evolution. Hmm? 
It certainly doesn't aid human society. <laughs> it troubles human society, consciousness. What am I? Why am I? These are questions that trouble us. They don't solve basic material needs. So from the yoga perspective, consciousness is, is not biologically based. It's not something that's part of the brain. It's that thing that they can't find in the brain. It's you. A spark. Different, different than smoke. Different than the brain. Different than the body. Which all, both of which transform, are the same, really, are the same constituents. Are non-experiential. And a spark is a unit of experience. Wow, that's different. Really different. Hmm. Great hope then. Hmm. So yes, there is there, there is an illusory realm where one living being is food for another. Hmm. But through the veil or through the smoke, there are sparks. Hmm. And so the yoga system is for finding that spark, realizing that spark. And the spark gives hope because, really, because, because. It's fire-like, and so there's a fire. So the fire is the Godhead, the, the source. You may call it different names and so forth. Obviously, um, different traditions use different terms. But unless there is a source of consciousness, as well as the spark, in which the two are one, because the spark is one with the fire, right? It has the same qualities as the fire. But you might say, well, yeah, but the spark is also different than the fire because you can't cook with the spark alone. You can't heat yourself on a cold night with a spark. So there's a oneness that we have with our source and a difference. And the difference and the oneness both are ingredients that are required for loving. Because in love, the idea is to become one with another while remaining two. And then you and I become we. It's not that you and I become one and we cancel one another out and there's nothing there's nothing left. It's a dynamic union, love is. You and I become we. The unit. Your heart becomes mine, my heart becomes yours. So in this Amongst many schools of yoga, um, for realizing the self, the bhakti school speaks about realizing the self in terms of the self's capacity to love. And because it speaks along those terms, it has to posit a significant consciousness other that is all lovable, the source, the Godhead. And the union, the dynamic union of love between the two. Mm. Yoga means union, so it makes for a kind of union. Now, the nice thing about bhakti, mm, if we understand the different systems of yoga traditionally, um, in, um, in classically speaking in India, mm, is that, um, let me put it like this, in a very simple sense, to be successful in any discipline, material or spiritual, you have to be devoted. Hmm. Right? So in that sense, there has to be some devotion in anything we do. Now, when we speak about bhakti, however, it, it's not 
exactly that's not exactly what we're talking about. Hmm? Hmm? And that's an important point. Hmm? Bhakti is something that comes from up to down. It's as spiritual as the capital S self is, if not more. Hmm? Bhakti is the outreach of Bhagavan, of the source, to us. Hmm? Like a fire radiating and inviting, something like that, with its heat and light. Hmm? It sends... It sends knowing, luminosity, and feeling, affection. Hmm? If we come in touch with that, that current is there in the world. Hmm? We come in touch with that through saintly people who are carried that, moving under the influence of bhakti, then we can um, come under that influence ourselves and then to culture that influence. That's called bhakti in practice, bhakti-yoga in practice. The bhakti yoga in practice turns to bhakti in ecstasy. Hmm? And from bhakti in ecstasy to culminates it what we call prem, bhakti in, 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 in love, that divine um, union with our, with our source. And if, in fact, there is such a source, hmm? a fire that we are sparks of, then obviously as much as we have some causal efficacy, we cause things to happen, um, and so on and so forth, so our source is alive as well. Hmm? In other words, from the bhakti perspective, the goal that we are to realize, we're not realizing something that's inferior to ourselves or even equal to ourselves, something greater than ourselves. We're part of something that's bigger than ourselves, that we're part of, that, that, that is bigger than all the, whole, all the parts put together. Hmm. So it's alive, in other words. Hmm. The source is alive. So it has capacity to, to make itself known. Hmm. It's said that if... The Godhead wants to make itself known, it can be known, otherwise not. Hmm? If we to look at the different types of yoga, classically speaking in India, they, we could compare them to the different senses, like the sense of seeing, the sense of smelling, the sense of hearing, the sense of tasting, different types of yoga. And bhakti yoga is like the sixth sense, the mind. What do we mean by that? It means this, that... We may take up a discipline, the yoga of knowledge, the yoga of action, for example, for making a kind of union with the, with the Absolute and for experiencing ourself, the capital S and so forth. Mm. In those types of yoga, then a certain idea of the ideal is posited. Mm. Um, as in all types of yoga. Mm. And from the bhakti perspective, those types of yoga will only be successful if the source chooses to reveal itself relative to the particular approach of the practitioners. So what I'm saying is, just like the senses, if you see something with your eyes, a form, 
Hmm? You will only see it if your mind minds your eye. You follow me? If I see a thing, if my eye contacts the drum, but my mind is somewhere else, then to that extent, the experience of seeing the drum will not take place. So the mind is central to the sense's capacity to experience sounds, tastes, smells, forms of sight, and so forth. So similarly, all the systems of yoga are dependent upon the the source's willingness to reveal itself through that system. And it will, to different extents, relative to the system's notion or ideal of the source. Let's say the source is one, but we see it from different perspectives. As an example, from a distance we see a train. People in the village hear, and they say, the train is coming. So, they, so the kid thinks, a train is... That's true. It's the whistle. And he goes home and thinks, that's what a train is. When you hear the whistle, that's a train. Now the other kid and family stay a little bit longer on the platform, and they see a light. Big light on the front of the train. So then the other child learns, train is a whistle and a light. And a light. That's true. And he goes home. The third one waits... The train pulls up, it's got a whistle, a light, it's got a conductor, doors open up, there's people inside, it goes by. That's also true. Hmm. The train is all of those things. Hmm. The last idea includes the other two. Hmm. So, mystic yoga, for example, is a transcendental discipline of Patanjali, the Yoga Sutra. You have the yoga of knowledge. Hmm. Uh, and you have the and let's say bhakti yoga. So these are like these three ways of knowing the train. The train is the and the analogy is the source. Hmm? Different approaches will afford us different experiences. So if our approach is not a wholly loving experience or approach, I should say, we cannot expect an entirely loving reciprocation from the source. But unless the source reciprocates, then how can the spark know? How can the finite know the infinite? If the infinite wants you to know, then it's possible because it's infinite, it can do anything. But otherwise, for the, on the finite's part, it's limited. The finite cannot know the infinite, but the infinite can make itself known to the finite. So according to our approach, the infinite is going to reveal itself. Approach in yoga, and all these types of yoga are good in that they're all effacing the small self-ego, saying this is an exploitive self, this is a div- divisive self, it's causing nationalism and uh, partisanism and sexism and whatever, all these uh, uh, these divisions in society, in the world, don't enable us to get close to one another, that we feel we should. Hmm? 
So they're all good in that sense. They're all effacing the small ego. They're all shedding light on the big self. And from there, they're all shedding light to some extent on the source, the third self. But it's reasonable to to conclude that the extent to which the the system of of effacing the material ego is one that includes within it loving the source, that will determine the extent to which the source will reveal itself as a whistle, for example, in our uh, uh, analogy, as a whistle and a light, or as a as a train that you can there's other people on, and it's a whole world, so to speak. Hmm. So in bhakti, hmm. and use practically, I mean, we have instruments of action: our legs, our arms, for example. We have a thinking instrument, and we have a heart. Hmm. Even if you're brain dead, but the heart is still beating. And it's worth saving, they say, worth keeping. Hmm. He's alive. The heart is beating, just to give an analogy. Hmm. So bhakti, in a sense, therefore, is thought to be, like I said, like the mind in relation to the senses. As much as there is some bhakti factored into the practice, as much as the mind minds the senses, we can smell, we can taste, we can hear, we can see, and so on and so forth. Hmm. So in our school, then, it's uttam bhakti. We, so we are only interested in bhakti. Hmm. And we feel that the necessary action and knowledge hmm, hmm, that's, um, uh, there, there is knowledge and action that's part of bhakti. Hmm, it's included within bhakti in such a way that they don't repel one another. Hmm. Like I said earlier, ordinarily speaking, the movement, the action, repels knowledge, and knowledge repels movement. So if we have a discipline of spiritual disciplines based on knowledge, it will bring us to inaction, quietude, shanti, 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 peace, peace, peace. Hmm. Peace is good. Love is something more than peace, though. Peace is included in love. Hmm. Love is something more. So we can't have a discipline of, of knowledge and attain the full measure of our capacity to love. Hmm? If we have a loving approach, hmm, then it's possible to experience the full measure of our loving, which is really what we what we what we exist for and what is worth worth knowing. Hmm? So. This is uh, this a, a very um, within the school of bhakti. There are also different traditions, hmm? a number of different traditions. We as ours is a particular tradition, and um, it's. Well, I guess I could say it's 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 a lifestyle, obviously, and uh, it's um, it's principal uh, practice, if you will, is the. Uh, the chanting hmm, of the names of God. We chant on beads, meditation, like the beads you have around your neck. We chant on each bead 108 times, a mantra in the morning for a couple of hours. We do here. <laughs> and we take care of the cows and the plants and and uh, prepare special foods and so forth. And 
we offer them in yoga and get together and chant again, have these type of discussions. And so we are happy to welcome you here for the evening or two. Thank you for coming. Any questions tonight? I'm not quite clear uh, as to your example of the mind being mm-hmm. up, being the senses, being what exactly? Other types of yoga. So in other, for any type of yoga to be effective, there has to be some bhakti. Hmm? Okay. Because the source that we're trying to have union with is live and will have union with us on its own terms. Hmm? Do you understand? On its own terms. So, it's not a, our source is not something that's inferior to us that we will conquer hmm? and go there with our shoes on. <laughs> no, it's, it's, it's different than that. Ordinarily, in this world, we acquire ordinary material knowledge to further our own material purposes. But spiritual knowledge has a purpose of its own, an agenda of its own, and we're on its agenda. This is a very different idea. And having knowledge is part of my agenda. Suddenly I find out I'm on somebody else's agenda. Of course, it's a loving agenda. It's big, beautiful. But it's, a, it's a, So the point is, what we're trying to attain is not some dead thing we could just conquer over. That's what we're doing in material life. We're trying to conquer over dead things and get life and love out of them. Hmm? Sources are alive. So it will, it's on its own terms. We're living you know, as, as members of God's dream. So whether God had, with the source, if it's not willing to reveal itself, then it will be known on its own, own terms, something like that. It will be known on its own terms. It's said that if you love someone, they'll tell you all their secrets. You think about that for a minute. The most comprehensive way of knowing about a person is to love a person. You'll find out everything about them. Because if you love them, they'll tell you everything. They have no fear. They'll feel you're one with them. You love me. So there's nothing to hide. Love has great power. So the Godhead wants us to know, but what, what, what on his own, on, on the God, on Radha and Krishna's own terms, to use our language, on their terms. So yoga is a discipline for making union with the Absolute. The, the very, very forms of yoga karma yoga, gyan yoga, have come from that, from that side to this side. Hmm? If there's some bhakti factored into those practices, they'll be efficacious. If there's no bhakti factored in, they won't be efficacious. So these different systems of yoga are like the different senses. If the eyes see a form, but the mind is somewhere else, the form is not actually seen. Hmm? So the mind is like bhakti. The senses are like other types of yoga. Unless there's some bhakti factored in, hmm, they won't be efficacious, they won't be fruitful. Hmm? And if it's only bhakti, then they'll be then how efficacious it will be. Then what in what way will you know the absolute? Hmm? 
if you do devotion to know the Godhead, that's one type of devotion. If you do devotion for its own sake, without any agenda, that's another kind of devotion, isn't it? It'll have a different effect. The school of karma yoga is in pursuit of knowledge. That's what it is, because when you factor yoga into action, then you diminish the pursuit or the enjoying of the fruits of your action. So knowledge comes. So karma yoga and jnana yoga, therefore, are said to be one in the Gita. Really different stages of the same thing. Um, but bhakti, yoga, that's a different thing. Now, in order for karma or 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 jnana to be successful, some bhakti must be there. But both of karma yoga and jnana yoga are aimed at knowing the absolute. That means becoming free from ignorance, knowing. But being free from ignorance and the exploitation, that is the action that corresponds ignorance, hmm, is not the same as loving. To stop taking and exploiting is part of loving, but it's not the whole face of loving. If you stop the war, stop warring, (laughs) then you'll have peace. But love is another thing. Hmm? So these two disciplines, karma yoga, jnana yoga, for example, hmm? they're aimed at the peace of knowing. They're aimed at the bliss of being. They're aimed at loving, as I often put it, to exist. Hmm? Bhakti is aimed at existing to love. You see, so it's very otherworldly at the same time. Hmm? There has to be something to love on the other side. Hmm? And then once that, once you attain that, then you, you, then you don't see a difference between the sides, if you will. Hmm? So does that help? Yeah. What else? Anything else? What yes. What else are you thinking of when you said that he just says karma and yoga? Yeah, Krishna says in the Gita, the the advocacy of karma yoga is there in the third chapter. And Krishna's, Arjuna's asking the question, well, you give me knowledge, but you're telling me to act. And he's confused between these two, the contemplative life and the life of action. And Krishna says, when you act without attachment to the fruits of your, this is, this is the same as knowledge. Hmm? There's just, there are just different stages in other words, the way to the path of knowledge is not just to sit and stop doing things. But the classical way is to do the things that you're attached to doing without being attached to the fruits, which is more gentle. Hmm? The result of which is the ingress of wisdom, mystic wisdom. Hmm? The result of which is that you can enter into contemplative life. You follow? So he's saying the karma yoga and jnana yoga, they're really just two phases of the, of the same thing. Hmm? And they're both aimed, therefore, under themselves as to attain a goal of loving, of the bliss of existing, of eternal existence, hmm? quietude. Hmm? 
And bhakti, on the other hand, is about existing to love. So it's it's active life in transcendence. Hmm? And if action is part of bhakti, and knowing is part of bhakti. Hmm? But in jnana, action is cancelled out. So if we want both in a healthy way, then instead of one propelling the other, cancelling the other out, then bhakti is the way to harmonize that. Hmm? It includes action, and it is the highest knowing to love someone. To love is to know. Hmm? Does that help? Anything else? Some, somebody pursuing dhyana and reaching, let's say, the limits of that, um, because can somebody in that state come to the conclusion that puppy is then needed, just naturally so, or is, is it just something that really just comes from the outside? In? First, First of all, again, the path of gyan, of knowledge, the path of action, karma, yoga, they require some bhakti. They require acknowledging that success in this path is dependent upon some grace. Hmm. Without that, they can't be efficacious, they can't be fruitful. Hmm. Without help from that side. Hmm. Okay, that's the first thing. Hmm. Then... Your question is of attaining what? Attaining gyan? Oh, Kent, or So the Gita says, Brahma Bhuta Prasanatma, Naso Chati Nakamchati, Samasarveshu Bhuteshu Madhbhattim Lavate Param. So it's possible that one can do gyan hmm, mixed with bhakti. Hmm, and then he will attain the Brahma Bhuta. He will attain, attain self realization. And from there, Mad bhaktim labate param. He will attain bhakti. Hmm? He will come to knowing. Brahmabhuta prasannatma means you know the self and its its blissful nature. Brahmabhuta prasannatma nasochitinakamshti. Will not hanker for anything, lament for anything. Samasarveshu bhuteshu. We'll see all beings equally. Mad bhaktim labate param. And then attain bhakti, which is your question. Can a jnani attain bhakti? Yes, it's possible. If his bhakti is mixed with with, with his jnana is mixed with bhakti, bhakti svalpam apiyasya dharma sitrayate matubaya. It cannot be lost. So, a little bhakti stays in his practice when his knowledge matures. It will rise to the top. Hmm. He will attain bhakti. And by that, Krishna says, Vishateta-ranantaram, the next verse, he will enter into me. As in Brahma-sayuja, or depending upon the measure of the bhakti and the association, you can also attain up to up to Shantarasa. Hmm. Actually, Ordasiras, if he has association with such a, with such a devotee, basic Vaikuntha idea, 
It's possible. Hmm. Sugadeva is an example. He was a jnani. He attained bhakti, kumaras. Now, if in their jnana they have no regard for bhakti, which means they have no regard for this, to the source, they're trying to go there with their shoes on, as I said, then, then they can't be successful. Then they won't attain bhakti. They won't attain their goal. Their goal may not be bhakti unto itself, but bhakti will enable them to attain their goal. What else? There seems to be a difference between Vaikuntha Bhakti and... <coughs> I mean, obviously there's a difference between Vrajan Bhakti and Vaikuntha Bhakti. But you know, if you think of the, of the story of the boughs, whose whisks catch on fire, and because of it, because they looked like he offered an article to the Murti of Vishnu, then he goes to Vaikuntha. Mm-hmm. And a Jnani, who, does, who goes through the motions of Bhakti, then Bhakti stays with them, and, uh, and then he attains, he, he, he kind of switches to bhakti. Sounds kind of like mm, automatic. What about the idea of bhakti being contagious and coming from, you know, above, from a bhakti, from somebody who has, if, you, if we see bhakti, if we think of bhakti as love of God, then there's a whole other set of statements that are said that bhakti can only be given by somebody who has bhakti. So, it sounds all theoretical to me, because I don't know any jnani really, but I'm just thinking this jnani would just be going through the motion like I'm doing the worship. Like he must have heard it from another jnani who said that's what we need to do to obtain the, the goal of jnana. So, so what's your question? That <coughs> there seems to be an automatic bhakti. Well, going the, the different Ghanis have different ideals. Ghanis want to attain Sayuja. Hmm. So they do bhakti for that. So they get that. The mouse isn't designed to attain Sayuja. He's doing Arctic. Hmm. <laughs> Unknowingly. Who knows what his past was, but uh, he's dying and going to Bhakunta. So he has the Gani has Sangskar for Sayuja Mukti, does bhakti for that. And bhakti will give him that. If you don't have an idea what you want to attain and knowingly you do bhakti, then you'll get real bhakti sukriti and you'll become a bhakta. It's a little complicated. So, all right, we'll stop there for tonight. Sisi Krishna Balaram Jitendra.